today the uh, last of a 10-session uh, uh, series, hard to say, uh, dealing with the issue of power. And if you've been with us, uh, you have heard basically the same introduction nine times, uh, make it 10, and that's talking about power. Here's what we said, that when we talk about power, we're looking at empowering people, the title power broker, the idea is we take power that God's ordained and it's passed through God-ordained channels to empower people. Those channels are uh, uh, family, work, government, and the church. So in the family, the power is passed to mom and dad, and the idea there is to empower children. Well, what does that process look like? Here you go, power. P, proficiency. That's per taking the right person, right place, helping them understand the uniqueness of their life and putting them in the right place. There's nothing more exciting than seeing somebody who's the right person in the right place in a job that's just made for them. O is ownership, to understand that there's a temporary control of an asset. It, it, we would say that you are a steward rather than a manager of the things God's given you. That when you reach into your pocket and pull out money, technically... It's yours, but in reality, it's God's money that he's given to you to trust and to use for him. So when you invest, you're investing God's money. When you spend, you're investing or in spending God's money, that kind of a thought process. W is work, meaning you need meaningful work. Now, that may be preparing you for something down the road, but you have a task. It's a job. It's clear. E, if you're in a position of management or ownership, the cheapest and most certain form of motivating your workforce is encouragement. They love it. They love to be encouraged. I'm not talking about blowing smoke at them. I'm talking about legitimately encouraging them and then ours to release them. Perfect example of that to me is kids. You can take children and, and those kids, we made this point to you and it's, and it's exactly right, those kids are going to be freed from you. It's going to be done either in an orderly process that's proactive or rebellious process. So after we looked at those and understood that, we looked at these systems that God has. So first we looked at government, then we looked at work, and we said even as we apply those, they're somewhat theoretical. So we looked at family last week, and today we look at what is an awfully important topic, I think and that's the church. Uh, when we talk about church, uh, if there's uh, 100 people plus in the room, uh, when I say church, you have as many definitions of church as you have people, for you have a different view of church. Uh, some of you are traditionalists. You're there every Christmas and Easter, no matter what. Nothing could keep you away. That's uh, You're determined. Uh, others of you have a been there, done that attitude, uh, I have a guy that finally, uh, uh, years ago, we got him to go to church. Uh, he came in the next day. I said, did you get there? And he said, yep. And I said, what would you think? He said, well, the usher who gave me this uh, bulletin or whatever that it's called at the church. And I said, yeah, I don't know, because we didn't go to the church I go to. It was a different church. And I said, yeah. And he said, he just screwed me in a business deal about two weeks ago. So I said, you know, it kind of took a little uh, edge off my church experience right at the door. It's what I thought. It's a bunch of hypocrites, so I'm done with that. I don't need to go there. So I, you hear all those things. Let me tell you something that you may not hear, that you need to hear. There are a good number of people 
who are in healthy churches and are healthy in those churches and they're doing very well, thank you. There are, in spite of the fact that it may be hard and maybe you haven't yet found one, there are good churches where good men and women are leading lives that bring honor and glory to God within those churches. But generally, when we talk about church, for many people anyway, we're talking about something that connotes a negative experience. Two points. Number one, for me, within a two years of being a Christian, it was clear to me that my passion was the church. Even though I teach in a bar on Thursday morning, and even though for all of my Christian life, in terms of speaking and teaching, I've been out in the community, and I, I love going to the community. I love being out in settings like this. My passion is the church. I'll tell you why. When I read the scripture, that's God's passion. I cannot be more clear than this. Priority living is not church. If you're here and you say, priority living is my church, then you don't go to church. I can't make it any more plain than that. This is not church. We don't have an elder structure here. We don't do worship time here. Uh, we don't do baptism and the Lord's Supper here. Every once in a while, somebody will come in that's a real, they got, they've been taking a, a lot of medicine and they're really moving and their brains are flowing. So they'll come in and they'll come in with some strategic plan to expand priority living. Okay, let me help you out here. I'm not looking to expand priority living. I'm not looking to change priority living. Priority living is right where we want it. Here's the change they want to make. Well, let's take these people to the next level. Let's get them together. Let's get them in study groups, discussion groups. Let me help you out. That's the church's job. That's not priority living. See what I'm saying? This isn't church. We think it's important, and I hope you think it's important. You wouldn't be here at 7 o'clock on a Thursday morning. You've got other things to do. But it's not church. So what is the church? You've got your outline in front of you. We'll just work our way through it. What's the mission of the church? If I go down and I, uh, let's say I'm going to send a kid to Brophy, and I go in and I meet with the people at Brophy, and I say to them, I'm going to give your, uh, my kid for four years, what are you going to give me back? Or if I go to Valley Christian or I go to some daycare, whatever it is, and I say, I'm going to give you this kid for four years, what are you going to give me back? Well, let's apply that same thing to the church. And I've challenged the guys at the church that I, that I go to, I've challenged them to say, what are we going to do? If somebody says, I'll give you four years, what are we going to give them back? I think that's important. So the question is, what's our mission? Here you go. To empower Christians to become personally involved in ministry in keeping with their unique mix of gifts and talents and passions. I digress just a little bit here. It's to empower Christians. There's a move. I think it's an alarming move, my view, among churches to be very concerned about unchurched people, non-Christian people. That, that's not the church's job. That's the people in the church's job. You've got churches that are springing up all over the world, and, and especially in this country, that are concerned about reaching unchurched Mary and unchurched Harry reaching people that would never darken the doors of a normal church. So they've got to do drama and magic shows and all this other stuff to get these unchurched people in. Pretty interesting, but here's the deal. That's not the job of the church. You see it? Christians. Once I start that whole process, there's no end to it in my mind. It's to, it, it's to take 
Christians. Now, are there unchurched or non-Christian people in church? Sure there are, obviously. We have a thing that we've started at our church for about two months now because here's what we noticed, especially not so much. We have the three services in the morning and then one at night. But we saw people, and they're rushing in, and right away we're going, we're singing and we're clapping and we're ready to go. Well, here's the problem with that. We've got a lot of people who are rushing in, and they've never even stopped for a second to quiet themselves to think about what they're doing. So what we do now is we start each service on our knees. We recommend that if you're able and you're willing, that we'll start on our knees. Well, I know that anything like that, I know that's going to fire up the emails. I'm not stupid. So I'll get the e- And here's what I got the other day. What is this? This is going to be a stumbling block for non-Christians that are at church. Let me help you. I'll give you my answer to that email. I don't care. I couldn't care less. It doesn't mean one bit of difference to me. Because they're coming into an environment that's a family environment, and they're guests. We aren't about to determine what we do in a church setting based on non-Christians. That's not church. It's so important for you to grab that. And for some of you, you're going, what's he all concerned about? That's okay, you'll figure it out. I mean, you're just not involved in whatever it is at this point. But for many of you, you need to incorporate that. Christians, taking Christians to become involved in ministry in keeping with their gifts and talents. So that's what we're concerned about. That's the fundamental point of the church, to equip and encourage the saints. That's the way we'd say it. But take the saints... We think of saints, we tend to think of people with a little halo and all these things that have been canonized. That's not what the scripture says. A saint is anyone who is a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a saint. To take the saints and to equip them, to prepare them, and to encourage them for ministry in keeping with their unique gifts and talents. We'll look a little bit here, working our way through it. If that's what a church is the mission, if that's the mission of the church, what is a church? we got a couple of different options here. One, kind of an institution of tradition. Kind of the keeper of the gate. The keeper of the tradition. Well, I mean, uh, and maybe you're in a church that has tradition. Uh, and some tradition is good. Some gets in the way. I was uh, in a meeting. We, this church that, uh, that I'm in, we've been there about two years, three years. And I had an idea to maybe change the logo. And I was kind of neutral on it. I thought, let's change the logo. So I went into a meeting, and the first comment was, but we've always had this other logo. And I said, you know what? I was neutral on this until now. I didn't really care until now. But if that's why we're hanging on to this thing, are you in a place that's traditional? I was uh, visiting a church, and uh, I'm walking out. There's three guys, one I knew, in the parking lot, and they're going at it pretty hard. And I thought, well, wow, this is an illustration. I need to go over and see what's happening. So I went over and I said, hey, guys, what's going on? And they said, were you in church? And I said, yes. They said, "Uh, how was it? I said, that was fine. It was okay. I wouldn't go here, but it's okay. And they said, what did you notice? I said, no, I have what? They said, we didn't say the Lord's Prayer. And I said, oh, okay, good. That's That's good. And he said, no, we say the Lord's Prayer every day. If we're about to head down this, I'm out of here. If we're not going to be saying the Lord's Prayer anymore. Well, I would say that's probably tradition, okay? If all of a sudden you make an instrumental change on the platform, then we're in an institution of tradition. Some, a museum for the saints. 
I've been in churches where they just kind of sit around and watch a handful of people, and those are the real saintly people and the godly people. Uh, this idea it's a hospital for sinners, kind of a spiritual 911, you know, or that it's really a school for ministers, that it's kind of a little mini seminary. So you see all those different ideas. When we talk about it, and under, under uh, this next scenario, I want to look at a typical church. In a typical church, if you get a program, you have two players listed. You have the ministers and you have the lay people. These are, by the way, Webster's definitions. This is Webster's definition of a minister, a person assigned to carry out a spiritual function. Okay? They are the ones who typically, again you have it, have been formally schooled in theology, although let me give you an interesting statistic. Of the churches in the United States that are a thousand or more, 50%, half of them are now pastored by men who have not been to seminary. That's an interesting statistic in a shift. But typically they're trained, uh, they're paid to be in this spiritual position, and they're competent to minister. The, the way that, that we like to say that is they are good, but they are paid to be good. As compared to the lay people who apparently are good for nothing. Uh, according to this, because Webster says a lay person is a person not skilled in a given profession. Now, here's what I remember the context. We're talking about power brokers. Probably I'm not that familiar with this group. I know in almost I know in all the other studies, there's pastors in there, maybe a pastor or two in here. But generally speaking, in these categories, you would be lay people. Do you feel empowered when you're described as a person who is not skilled in a given profession? See, this is a dichotomy we see. Here are the professionals. Here's the lay people. I think it's an artificial dichotomy, my own view. And in the midst of this, here's what we're doing. The lay people who ought to be being empowered for ministry are reinforcing this. I had a gal who called me and said, I want you to meet with a friend of mine and myself. And I said, okay, why? And she said, because I've been talking to this girl, and this girl, I believe, is ready to come to Christ. I said, well, I'm not going to meet with her for that. I'm going to meet with her for that. Why would I meet with her for that? You can take her through that. You don't need me. You go spend time. I'm not going to meet with her. No, I'm not going to meet with her. I don't want to meet with her. That's not my job. You meet with her. You know her. you got a relation. Why she want to come in with some guy she doesn't even know? You meet with her. You know what? She started talking to her. She had her in a Bible study, and about a month after they started this Bible study, this lady prayed to receive Christ as her Lord and Savior. See, but we reinforce this. We call him pastor or reverend or monsignor or bishop. All of a sudden, we're saying, they're the pros. I'd love to help you out. Let me set up a lunch with my pastor. Now, again, you may not be in a church where this is the situation, but it's the situation in most churches. So now, here's what I want you to see, and this will explain a lot of problems to you. D on your outline. So from the average layperson, what do we expect? Well, if we're going to turn on the air conditioning and open the doors, we expect you to be there. And we expect you to be given some money. People need to pay for this. In fact, every, every, every year we'll have this thing called Stewardship Sunday, the least intended time of the year, when we'll talk about how you need to give. And then we want you to support whatever we put out there as a program. In fact, there's not even any place in here for healthy, loyal criticism. You just say yes, and we don't want any conflict. We're not going to talk about any tough stuff. We're going to agree at the lowest common denominator. 
last Sunday, this is very interesting. And by the way, I don't think this is where people are. There's a whole move in here in the body of Christ and in the churches around to water this down. I don't think that's what people are looking for. They're looking for the church to make a difference. Last Sunday in, in church, our message was on uh, chapter 1, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And the message was fairly straightforward, I thought, on hell. And if you've never heard the gospel, and if you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. And here's what hell is, and we talked about it. And this is it. There's not like a lot of wiggle room in here. You're going to hell. And everybody that doesn't believe this is going to hell. That was the message. I'm in my office Tuesday, and our tech guy came in, and he said, I don't think you're going to believe this. And I said, okay. And he said, not even close. Sunday's message is the most ordered tape we've ever had. And I said, I, that blew me away. I was really surprised by that. I shouldn't be because one of my basic contentions is in this world where even the church is afraid to say this stuff, people are dying to hear the truth. So you just stand up and you tell the truth. But in an average, typical church, you attend meetings, you give more money, support more programs, stay out of conflict. So if somebody's really, I love this. So if somebody's really going spiritually, how would we know it? Well, the logical extension. You see it? They attend more meetings. They give more money. They support more programs. And they don't want to argue or talk about anything that has to do with spiritual conflict. So now you have people who are absolutely burnt up because that church is driven. Well, let's see it. See the next one? So now i got to figure out just like you in your business, your business is easy because the bottom line is the bottom line, typically. How are we doing? Uh, I can tell you, ding, 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 not good, thank you. Uh, I've got some uh, stock uh, uh, that I kind of got into here. As a, I don't ever do this, but I got into this, bought it at, uh, at 13, and uh, yesterday morning we had it at uh, three and a quarter, okay? <laughs> I have the ability to do that. I am the world's greatest reverse indicator. Well, we wonder, how do we rate this business? It's real simple. Three and a quarter. Well, how do you rate a church? Take it to its logical extension. We have lots of people. We have lots of money. We got lots of programs. And everybody's in line. So you bring in a speaker. So you'll say, our speaker today is Bob Smith. Bob's uh, the pastor of First Church of the Year in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. You know what the next sentence is going to be? The next sentence is going to, what is it going to be? The first church of the year has 8,000 people in it. So that's the first thing they tell you. The first thing they got to tell you is it's got 8,000 people. What if it said 80 people? If you said, we got Bob Smith in, Fargo, North Dakota, first church of the year, he's coming in, and there's 80 people that go there. I'm telling you, here's what would happen. 80? Did they say 80? That's got to be a mercy. He doesn't have 80. He doesn't have 80 people. He's got 800. 8,000? It's, it's more likely that he has 800,000 than have 80. Who brought a guy in? They don't want to listen to him in Fargo. I don't want to listen to him here. 80 people? 80? Well, the guy's a loser. Why? Because in a typical setting, we'd measure an average church by the size. See how this game gets played? That's why size is important. I spoke, I won't name the denomination, but I spoke to a group of high school pastors. 
And I, when I was done, this was one of the most defeated groups I've ever been in. And these guys came up and said, I mean, I must have had, uh, and there weren't many guys, maybe 40 guys in the room. I'll bet I had five of them come up and give me a card and say, I'd love to send a resume to you if you're looking for, and these were the top in their denomination in the country, if you're looking for a youth guy. I'd love to work in an environment, because I tell them, I don't, care, I don't care how many guys come to your thing. Couldn't care less. Now, you mean you don't care about numbers? I do care about numbers, because typically that's an indicator that something's happened. Give you an example. I have had three or four people this week say to me, have you seen the Patriot? And I said, no. Mm -mm. And they said, boy, you've got to see the Patriot. It's terrific. I said, Okay. See, the natural thing is, if you saw the Patriot and it was good, is to say, when you meet somebody, you need to go see the Patriot. It's a natural thing to do. If your life and that of your spouse, if you're married, or your life if you're single, or your kids' lives, or your, if, if, if your life is being changed in a church setting, the most natural thing in the world is to say, you need to come to this church. I'm just telling you this. I was this, now I'm this, this church was part. It's a natural thing. So there ought to be, in a church, there ought to be growth. There's something unhealthy, I think, if it's stagnant and not growing. But that's not how you measure the success. Nor do you measure it by money, nor by programs. This is where you really get it. This is how, and let me show you how you kill people. You may be sitting here today and feel very de-energized by your church experience. Well, let me show you how. So now we got to have programs because here's what happens in a typical church. Somebody comes in with a need. They're hurting. And the first thing the church wants to do is solve the need. My motto is people die with needs unmet. I'm not here to meet every need. Every need's not a calling. See, that's how you get this proliferation of programs. Well, now you have to support the programs. And you've conned these people into thinking that unless you're really busy, you aren't growing. So now you have people who are out two, three, four nights a week involved in all sorts of ministry things. And they think they're growing spiritually and their family's falling apart and they're pooped. They're getting no time on their own. They're not growing. And then at the end of the day, they're the weak people. No, the system's flawed. You don't need a bunch of you know, boy, this is a great church. Really? How come? They got a blind left-handed bowling league. I mean, they're reaching out to everybody. They, 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 I'm telling you, if you got a need, they're meeting the need. Oh, you should see them. Look at it. We got a guy out our way that started a church, and I'm telling you, within three months, I could the, bull, the bulletin made me nervous to look at his bulletin. It just was program after program after program after program. I'm saying, these people don't need all that stuff. Well, she got to run it. But see, that's how we get to success. Let's do something really odd here for the last 15 minutes. Rather than you and I figure out what's success in a church, what's God say successful? That's, that's a novel approach. What's God looking for in a church? What is God? When God looks at the church, what's significant to him? On your outline, G. Well, first of all, the leaders are, are to be godly leaders. See, here's what we do. Here, let me go ahead. In, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, Paul writes about 
when you go and pick leaders, here's the kind of leaders that you're supposed to pick. And he, and he lays this out, and for some of us anyway, it might be a, a set of, uh, of standards that are different than what we would pick. Here, I read from the New Living, um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, God's talking about picking leaders. He said this, it's a trustworthy saying, if somebody wants to be an elder, that he desires an honorable responsibility. For an elder must be one whose life cannot be spoken against. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exhibit self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home and must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or violent. He must be gentle, peace-loving, not one who loves money. He must manage his own family well with children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's children? An elder must not be a new Christian because he might be proud of being chosen so soon. He must have a reputation and be spoken well of with those outside the church. Now that's God's standard for a leader in your church. What we typically do is to say, you know, we got this guy. And he's got this dot-com business. And, and, and he's, he's been very, very successful. So let's bring him in here because that's what we need here. Did you notice there's nothing? If the, the only reference to money in here is that you shouldn't love it. See, God's got a different standard. Part of the problem that I see, we see it in our church. We see people come in who were elders and deacons in positions of leadership at other churches, and I'm telling you, many of them aren't even Christians, let alone meeting that standard. There's one sense when I look at that and say, nobody meets the standard. But that's the standard God lays out for leaders. Not that they're eloquent, not that they can run a business, not, not that they've got uh, leadership and organizational savvy. That wasn't in there, was it? They're men who love God, and their love for God has transformed their life, and their life is clearly visible before all that they've been changed. See, in a church, the first thing we look for are leaders that meet God's standards. Here's the second thing. They have appropriate gifts. Not everyone is equal in terms of giftedness, and by that I mean identical. Some are prophets, that is, they declare the truth. Some are evangelists, some are pastors, some are teachers. I, I've got people that I mean literally every day they're out there sharing Christ. Every day they're saying, God, bring me somebody to talk to who doesn't know Jesus, and I want to tell them about it. I've got other people for whom they will do that as life presents itself, but that's not their passion. Their passion is to study the Word in depth. i got other people say, you know what I want to do? I want to come alongside people and pray with them, and I want to care for them, and I just want to love them. I just want to be there when they're hurting. I want to let them know I care and that we care. That, by the way, men and women, is the body of Christ. Here you go. You've been given a spiritual gift. You have. You're a Christian. You have a spiritual gift, a special enablement to perform a function in the body of Christ. So you have to find that gift and begin to use that gift. And it's not that hard. What do you like to do and what do you do well? That's your gifted area. And now, in a church, I've got all these different pieces coming together. Look at number three. And what these programs that I have, what they produce are God's people for works of service. 
The word ministry or minister and service are essentially interchangeable. You're prepared to serve. God called you to serve. You've been given a spiritual gift to serve. That's why you need to be in the body of Christ. And that's why you need to be in the local church. See, if you're not in the church, not only are you deficient, but the church is deficient. God saved you for a purpose, for a reason. most exciting thing that I think in my life that I ever came to understand was that God had a plan in this world and that I, as one of his children, was a part, albeit a very small part, of his plan. And so were you. So what the church ought to do is to take men and women and say, here's what God's gifted you to do. Now, let us give you some background. Let us give you some help. Let us give you some framework. And now, let's go serve. Now, that gets a little sloppy, and we'll look at why in just a second. Here's the last thing. There ought to be in your life a change. Here's what he says, Ephesians 4.13. Until we all reach unity in faith, that means we accept and, and, and embrace this doctrinal unity. Me and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So when somebody says to you, uh, uh, how you doing? How you growing spiritually? Your answer back uh, can, can, can fall into a couple of categories. Here's one I hear all the time. Well, here's what I'm reading. Here's what I, ju I just read. I just read this Sproul book, and I'm going to read a MacArthur book, and, and uh, boy, I, I'm back. I'm reading some of the Christian classics now. Okay? That's good, isn't it? It's good to be reading. It's good to be taking in information. It's good to be listening to tapes. But, but that's not the sign of spiritual growth. That's a sign. Here's what I get on the other side. Boy, here's what I'm doing. I'm going in this small group, and I'm in this small group, and I'm over here in this thing, and I'm over there in this deal, and I'm down here, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. Well, you know what? A lot of those things that you're doing, real charitable uh, pagans do. There's pagan organizations that feed the hungry and clothe the naked and go to meetings and hang out. Let me give you another thing, because those are the two extremes. There's something in the middle that you ought to be doing if you're growing. This is a tough one. You ought to be thinking, meditating, pondering, stopping. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I am sick of hearing it, but I say it myself. I'm so busy. Well, we've reached a time when we're so busy that there's no place to get away and think. You have to be thinking. You have to be thinking about what's God doing? How does this come together? What's God doing in my life? Quiet time. Thinking time. So how do I know I'm growing spiritually? Well, I'm taking in information. I'm reading. I'm thinking about it, I'm meditating about it, I'm pondering on what God's got to say, and it's transforming the way I live. That's how I know I'm growing spiritually. And it may mean I go to less meetings, not more meetings. See, this is where it gets a little dicey. Let's play it through here. So how do you find, uh, uh, in you, how should you find uh, an empowered church? What do you look for? Because I'll tell you this, if you're not in a church, I believe you'll not even come close to what God's got for you in your life. You need to be involved in the local church. You need to be busy in the local church. And if that means you don't come to priority living and you go to the church, then so be it. Your church is more important than priority living. It isn't even close. So what do you look for? Here's the last survey. 
was taken among people. First thing they look for is a caring and sharing church. I want to go in. I want to go kind of like Cheers, a place where everybody knows my name. I want to go in where they really, how you doing, and then they want to talk about it and all that. Okay? I'll give you a tip. Join the Elks. Okay? They'll do that for you there. Here's the second thing. Music. I want the music that speaks to me, the worship. Third thing, um, (laughs) ample parking. (laughs) I want to be able to get in and to get out. I want a beautiful setting. What do you look for in a church? Here's what you look for. A place where God's word's being taught. That's supreme among all else. If you've got to park out in a field and take a bus to get there, then you go where the word is being taught. Do they teach the Word of God? In this process, as they're teaching it, uh, is it a place, and, and, and I think it's okay, is it a place now that reflects that teaching? There ought to be a sense of friendliness there. It ought to be a clean place. I got all that. It's a place where you can worship. It's a place where you come in. You can just, for whatever reason, you just get a sense that when you're there, you are truly communing with the Lord through the music and the worship and the teaching and all that goes with it. And a place where people are challenged to grow and given the opportunity to grow. That's the kind of church you want. And you may be saying, I've been to 10 churches and none of them are there. Great. That's terrific. That's 10 you don't have to go back to. Let's keep going until you find the one that fits for you. It is. You got your relationship with Christ. You got your relationship with your family. This is the third most important relationship you have in the world. It breaks my heart to see people who are not plugged into the local church. So what does that mean? Quickly, we've got five minutes. It means, under our scenario that we've talked about, that you're encouraged to discover your gifts. You're encouraged to try to figure out where do you fit in the body. That you're given everything you need to be competent. That they're there trying the best they can to help you, to teach you, especially God's Word. That you're given some opportunity uh, uh, and a position to refine your capabilities. In other words, you're placed in in an area where you begin to serve and there's some evaluation that takes place in line with your spiritual gift. Uh, You're commended for your performance and you're even given permission for for ministry. Now, here's where it gets to be a sticky wicket on your outline uh, uh, eye. When people are empowered, they may not go to as many meetings. One of the things that I see people coming into our church is that they are they are accustomed to being challenged to be very active i find myself sitting in meetings saying wait a minute are we asking too much of these people think about it you go into a men's group and they say men you need to be with men and you need to have iron sharpens iron and gals you need to be in this group and if you're a couple you need to be together in a small group setting and you need to be teaching over here in second grade and you ought to be leading a small group and we have an outreach ministry in uh, in South Phoenix that we're trying to do and I hope you understand abortion is a major issue and you need to be reading these things and by the way you got a 60 hour a week job that's just not realistic If that's the icon that you have of a vibrant Christian life, you're doomed to frustration. 
And that's why people make the mistake. Let me just make this point to you. That's why people who are serious about their faith make the mistake of thinking, I got to get rid of my secular job and get into Christian ministry because that's where the action is. That's a crock. Okay? Your secular job is your ministry, and you need to see it that way. God's uniquely placed you. And it may be, and the church needs to be able to live with this, it may be that some of your time's going to be taken outside the church. I've had people say, well, if the church was doing their job, there wouldn't be anything like priority living. There wouldn't be anything like young life. That's not true. If the church was doing their job, there'd be more of those in different settings. Maybe out extensions of the church, but they'd be there. It may be that money will get distracted. It may be you won't have this many programs. I had a guy in our office the other day and said, I really think we need a, 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 a church softball league. And I said, you know what? Uh, we're talking back burner. I, I, why? We're, we're going through the same time where we're saying, you don't need another night a week out, and now you're going to take these guys out for two nights a week to play softball? Well, but we're going into, you know, we'll have other non-believers there. Well, then you go do it. Go on a non-believing team that has a real reputation for drinking a lot, and you be salt and light in the midst of that. Well, we don't need to start a league so you have evangelism, my view. So in this process, it may get a little sloppy, and I'll tell you this, I for, okay, bingo. But this is a big deal here. People who are empowered and are gifted aren't going to wait around for the church to go, that's terrific, we want to bless that, and we're com that program's online for 2012. They're going to do it. They're going to say, hey, I, and, and that would be my feel. Listen, God's called me. God's gifted me. I'm ready to go. I've got to serve. I've got to do something. That's how we determine new programs we need. Not what do we think, but can we man it? What are people looking for in terms of extensions of using their gifts? Now, the question is real simple. Are you in a church like that? To those of you that are church leaders, and we always have people who can make a difference, that ought to be your church. I know that's not the norm, but that should be the norm. That, I know that kind of church is unique, but it shouldn't be. That's what God's ordained the church to do. And I'll just say it to you again. If you're not in a church like that, get out. Well, I'm going to change it. No, you aren't. You're the fifth generation of people who are going to change it. You're not going to change it. They go back 2,000 years. They're not going to change. They're not about to change. Get out. You don't have enough energy. Listen. This work in ministry is tough. And if you've got to spend half your energy fighting the structure that's supposed to support you, you're nuts. See, the church ought to be a place, you see it, where Christians are empowered. And that takes place in the front and the leadership. I read something the other day where a guy said, Never have the pews been so full and the pulpits so empty. It takes place when you set that tone, but I'm telling you, ultimately, this responsibility falls to you. God saved you. God puts you in this body. And if you're not in a church, let me say it to you again. You are, I think, disobedient to God. 
And I don't care if you got to drive. We have a couple that drives to our church every Sunday morning from Sunflower. Almost an hour drive. I don't care if you got to drive to Casa Grande to find that church. That's the church you need to be in. And I'll tell you something. God will do unbelievable things in your life as you're plugged into that church. I'm telling you, he'll change your life. He'll give you direction. He'll give you power. You'll see things happen in your life. You'll see your life begin to touch other people. You will see something that's contagious to take place. And you see the context power broker, that power that's entrusted to the church is now passed on so that there's not, there's not professionals and lay people. There's the royal priesthood of the believers where we all minister. Some clearly at different levels. Some paid. I understand that. I got no problem there. But that's the norm. This is the norm by God's standards. It may not be by the standards we have in this country right now, but those are God's standards for how we're to live. Let's pray. Father, that is stuff that I, I just know is absolutely true. So important to me, and I pray it's important to me because it's so important to you. God, I pray for the men and women in this room. First, for those that are involved in the church and they're serving and they're ministering and stuff's happening in their life, God, let them be encouraged. And I pray they're not discouraged, but encouraged by this 45 minutes today. For they see what they're doing is so important. I pray for those that are here that don't have a church. That for whatever reason, it's just been something that's not really important. They can do it on their own. Father, help them see they can't. They need to be part of a body, a body where they're empowered, where they're nurtured and they grow and they serve and fruit develops. God, we pray for the churches around the valley. These guys have such awesome responsibilities and tasks. We pray for every one of them. We pray that they're the church that brings honor and glory to you. That they would fully embrace the, the, the challenge, the command to equip and to encourage the saints. God, we look at this and we go, there's no way. And you know what? We know it's right. There's no way apart from you. For what we're called to do is to live supernaturally, not natural lives. God, we pray that you would do this work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.